This is exactly right. The Maxi Sode. <laughs> yeah. I've been listening to old mini You have? I'll admit it. Okay. And? It's pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. Our show. I'm always, you always say to me, I've been listening. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Listen, I've been listening and we really got to tighten this shit up. <laughs> Especially the intros. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I wouldn't know where to fucking start. I'm actually not that interested in yeah. doing that. We're in an office. What more do you want? Yeah, we are indoors. Steven has all kinds of equipment. You should see the yeah. equipment. We have a, a lovely lamp lit because we don't want overhead lights disturbing our precious, precious eyes. Because grandma <laughs> is 69 years old. Nice. And goddamn fluorescent lighting is rough. I was thinking how fun it would be if we recorded at my house with the fire going in the background. But mm. then that would be really distracting to people who don't like the sound of fire places. Um, Not just like a lit fire. Either we light the house on fire and then try to record and get it done before the whole thing goes. Yeah, that's the challenge. We start the fire downstairs. Ready? Trash can. <laughs> ignite. Go. On the count of five, we're going to start a fire and then record a podcast. Um, There's just one episode. You know what's really funny? It makes me think of, and uh, it, it's... Um, you got it. I'm you not going to do it. I'm do not going to do it. <laughs> what could have Karen said? I what do you think it would have been? I want to talk about. And you, Stephen, you're the one that's going to help me here. Okay. Sound I'm it out. It. Our friends. Sound it out. Have a podcast. I want, I'm friends with one of the people on the podcast. It's called Podcast But Outside. And do you know the, those guys? Oh, yeah. It's... um. <laughs> oh, my God. Why can't I remember Tall his name? Tall comic yeah, yeah. who's hilarious and skateboards. Yes. Um, Why can't I remember his name right now? This is boring and dumb. I, I love can you, see Alex his Trebek. face. I can see his well, face. Well, you look at podcasts, but outside. They, they just podcast outside. <laughs> they just set up a card table somewhere <gasps> and see who comes and talks that to them. That is so brilliant. It's really enjoyable. I and they've gotten it. into some shit. It's really funny. Andrew Michon. It's Andrew Michon is the one I know. Okay. And then... Um, Cole Hirsch. Cole Hirsch is the, is and the other host. We'll have to listen. I love that idea. They've done it at the beach. They did it at Cole's uh, or Andrew's father's third wedding. Oh, my God. I want to say third. I follow them on Twitter, but it's really funny to just see when they post. And they're like, we've got another one. We're at the... Where could they be? We're in the Santa Monica promenade or whatever. Oh, I and love And they just that. set up and like have to podcast what happens. I love that. That's so creative. I think it's super It's super genius. Sorry, tell me what yours was. Oh, my, I have one. It's called Family Secrets. I really love this podcast. Um, it's hosted by Danny Shapiro, who's this incredible author and uh, speaker. And she has... She interviews people who have had these crazy family secrets in their life that come out or that they kept their whole lives or they just found out. There's a lot of like, I did my DNA testing and this crazy thing came out and like that's kind of shit. But the the stories are so heartfelt and beautiful and the podcast is beautifully done. Wow. Family Matters? Family Secrets. (laughs) That is a TGIF show (laughs) starring Urkel. Urkel has a beautiful podcast? (laughs) Okay. I mean, I guess. Every way you look. Uh, Oh, I know. That's Family Secrets. Family Secrets. Danny Um, Shapiro. 
uh, oh, well, then if we're going to do this, I'm sorry, I forced us into a podcast roundup. But That's okay. Let's be here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know why I was mentioning podcasts, but outside. Oh, I guess it was just like we can podcast in any right. situation. Fire, pl- but fire podcast. Someone's already doing it. So podcast we, on fire. Podcast on fire. We're basically taking Andrew's idea and then just upping it a notch. Yeah. But I did want to mention, um, I or do you know Chris Garcia? He's a comic from San Francisco that I'm friends with. I think I've met him. You would know him from like shows around town. Yeah. But he has a podcast called Scattered. And I was on it. I was his guest one time because his dad died of Alzheimer's. Right. And so he and I had this conversation that's pretty great. I love him very much. And he and I, um, it, it's not like we came up together or anything. We didn't know each other that well. And then we kind of did shows together and figured out both of our parents. Um, his father had recently died and my mom was still alive with it. I... And it's this very strange, immediate bonding, amazing thing. And we had this conversation um, talking through the experience um, that I loved. And so they're re-releasing it on November 22nd as uh, with more um, time, I guess, an extended oh, version right. of the conversation. Because I think we talked so long that like there were producers that were like on the phone in New York that were, <laughs> I'm sure, sitting there like, well, we can't interrupt them. They're both crying. But <laughs> we have to stop recording this podcast. So um, if you're interested um, and that's something that isn't a devastating bummer to you. Um, well, one of the things I love when we do meet and graces or when people meet you is I hear them say, thank you for talking about what you went through with your mom. I'm starting to go through it. I've been through it, whatever. And like talking about it with other people, I'm imagining and, and hearing other people talk about it would be so, you know, gratifying. Yes. I think it's such an isolating experience that any time you get a chance to hear anybody else talk about it and talk about the guilt and talk about the horrible parts, it does, I think, it definitely helps me when, you know, like when he and I talk. Uh, So anyway, if you want to listen to that. those little things that like you keep secret and you don't want to talk about because it's too deep and it's too much with anything in life, all these fucking struggles we go through. Yes. And the minute one person goes vulnerable and starts fucking talking about it, everyone else is like, oh, I don't have to be ashamed of this. And someone else knows what I'm going through. And then you meet random people and you're like, maybe they've been through that too. Yes. And then you bond with them. And yeah. you never know what people are going through until they fucking talk about it. That's right. And oftentimes people have been have been raised not to talk about yeah. it. The whole setup in our family, and I think in a lot of, I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if it's Irish Catholics. I don't know if it's like the second generation immigrant. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but it's like your problems are not, uh, relevant to other people. They're not anybody else's business. It reflects poorly on the family. Right. And you do not talk about that. You All you do is put on a brave face and go to work all the time. Okay. And that's the solution to everything. And it's like the relief that people hear from the thing a lot of people say to me is like when you talk about how like much you hate the parent that <gasps> has this disease yeah. which is such a terrible feeling well that's so taboo you don't hate that parent you hate the person I'd imagine that that is going through these things and has become this different person yeah you hate this situation right but it comes out hate, terribly hate's okay you know like yeah. hate is an emotion that we all have and talking about it isn't fucking yeah the end of the world and you're not a bad person because you are are suffering under r- r- excruciating circumstances. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Say the name of the podcast again. Uh, Chris Garcia. It's called Scattered. Oh, did you have you have a corrections corner? Oh, I do. Our best friend, our number one fan, and the man who has uh, brought all of our, our web 
platforms together. Mm-hmm. Thank God, Denton. He's the reason the fan cult is fucking awesome now. Yes, and the website. And, and the website and the merch store and, and the fan cult store. <laughs> I mean, he's 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 really uh, and he's my old friend. I know. And he That's came to you and was part. like, let me fix this. We didn't have to be like, can you help us? He was no. like, this sucks. Can he I help? He came and was like, me and my 26 year old cousin need you to fix this website <laughs> immediately. And we're like, we want to That's so bad. Right. Anyway, he let me know on episode 193. I said that the fan cult basically when you if you break it down, it's it costs 30. 25 I claimed that it cost 25 cents a day. It's 39.99 a year. Yes. Or something. And so I claimed it cost 25 cents a day. Well, Denton immediately texted us Math. when that episode <laughs> came out and said, "Actually, I want everyone to know that it breaks down to 10 cents. It's 10.9 cents a day." Wow. Just less than 11 cents a day. Wow. Now, not everybody has 11 extra cents a day. Understandable. In this fucking day and age. We get it. So, fine, but if you think you can scare up 11 cents a day for a year, you can join the fan cult. And the fan cult's fun. We post uh, videos every week. We post a new live episode every month that isn't ever going to be probably maybe played uh, <laughs> on the show. Released. Released. Yeah. Thank you. There's um, there's a fan cult uh, merch store that's exclusive, really rad merch for fan cult members. And also, um, now we have fan cult gift memberships available in the regular store that you can buy for your friends for the holidays. And um, Yeah, that's, you, that's very cool. If you don't is. have the 11 sense but you think your mom might you can go ahead and drop that hint put it on your list that that's what you'd like for the holidays that's a great point and um also when you join you get 20 percent off your first like merch purchase mm. total were you gonna call it a merch purchase merchus merchus <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that sounds gross. <laughs> it does. Your first merchus, you get 20% you in, off. In your merch, your man purse, after you've purchased it. Um, As the path yeah. of merchusing. So you can get a lot of gifts for the holidays. And we're going to, oh my God, we're about to fucking drop, as they say. Some of the An album? Coolest merch. The most fire album of that's, 2016. That's right. <laughs> It's going to be just flames. The sound of flames. 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 On the side of my face. <laughs> We uh, actually yeah. are so excited about the, the the merch items that are coming out. We're collabing with a really awesome murderino maker. We'll yeah. tell you all about it. There's good, good stuff coming. And also, Denton wanted to tell us that, <laughs> tell you that everyone, the men. This is Denton's corner, really. Many members of the fan cult are up for renewal. Happy fan cult birthday. If you were on auto renewal on the old site, you still need to renew on the new site. Oh. Because we made it better and different. It's a basically, it's a brand new website. Yeah. So if you don't expect anything to happen automatically please come over and update and start afresh right. and we are working um very hard to make sure that it's worth your 11 cents we a day. are we really fucking are we really are we're even getting into the occult for you <laughs> just so you know get in that forum and say what's up to marty yeah <laughs> who bought himself a fan cult membership he didn't try to get it from no me. He i was wanted like... to see what the experience was i fucking swear to god <laughs> marty's a lover of life Marty is a supporter of his children. Um, oh, I have to tell you something. Please. Okay, let me get this, this out of the way. Okay. Um, we're in like less than a week, we're going on tour in the UK. <sighs> it's the last of our shows for 2019. Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? I'd love to know the number of shows we did in 2019. Steven! I don't mean, do that right now. That's a lot. I think it's 60 something. It's right? got to be 60 something. Well, so there's a few tickets left for 
Manchester on November 22nd, Glasgow on the 23rd, Dublin on the 24th and 25th. There's like, it's like 96% sold out on those ones. So oh, yeah. get your tickets, you guys, and um, come see us. Please come see. We're already preparing our stories. Yeah, we're going to be so prepared. It's we are be so exciting. I'm, I'm at one of those places in the like coming up to tour where I'm like, I can't wait to get on that plane and sleep. I know. You know, it's we uh, there's nothing more fun than touring. It's really a joy. Mm-hmm. But when you do it for six months straight and go through two full seasons, mm-hmm. it gets a little you get a little bit <clears throat> a little bit exhausted <laughs> or a lot and then have a nervous <laughs> breakdown. We did have a bit of a nervous breakdown. We had to, though. But it's I'm excited because usually when we're on the road or at least the process has been up until this point, we go on the road, we find our stories, we write last minute. There's a lot we add mm-hmm. in the tension, which is kind of how I always kind of do everything. Yeah. But this time we're like we've already done it so much that now I'm like I regret all those times the last time we were in Ireland in the UK yeah where I sat in a hotel room because I couldn't get my shit done in time totally and basically didn't get to look at stuff we're gonna explore we're gonna go for it we're gonna do it I, I have just a quick thing to tell you okay okay it's on the same level and plane and like of, of existence as the uh, cocaine bear Oh, okay. I love that level of existence. Vince read me this headline today and I was like, text that to me immediately. I have to tell Karen, <laughs> feral hogs find and destroy $22,000 worth of hidden cocaine. I love those fucking feral hogs. Feral, I want to read you this one line. Okay. It's, it's in Italy. Um, these motherfuckers. Okay. It says an unknown number of boars allegedly dug up and destroyed this gang's packages of cocaine, dispersing their contents in the woods. Yeah. It was not immediately known what happened to the curious animals. Oh, they're just kind of out and about. Yeah, now? that's from Newsweek. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. So we have cocaine hogs now. They're they're down shooting pool and smoking a ton of cigarettes. That's where they are. <laughs> and plans for a restaurant. <laughs> Let's make our dreams Let's come true. Tapas. I want to talk about stuff. Sushi, but tapas. Sushi. Jam bands. <laughs> <laughs> Sushi, but tapas. Okay. Well, then in in that. Um, realm of I want to tell you something. Mm-hmm. This is the new segment. I want to tell you something. Okay, great. Because I loved some uh, a, a listener named Emily George, assuming it's a listener because okay. she's talking about a mini-sode. Okay. Remember on mini-sode 148, the story about the little girl who said to her attorney father, fuck you, daddy, it's Bobby Shapiro? Of course, it's my lifeblood. Okay. Well, um, Emily George tweeted to... Uh, she says, I feel obligated to inform Karen Kilgariff that Khloe Kardashian would have been around the right age <gasps> and the daughter of the right attorney for that fuck you, daddy. It's Bobby Shapiro hometown <gasps> in my favorite murder minisode 148, along with a Khloe gif no. where she's going hashtag fact. <laughs> How hilarious is that? If okay, Kim Kardashian, if she yelled, fuck you, daddy, it's Bobby Shapiro, <laughs> then I then she's our new Oprah. Right. But but she's saying it's Chloe. Oh, Chloe. Okay. Chloe was the right age. Great. She's done the math on this. Dude. Emily George went to town That's on this. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that information. I would never have put that together. No, I wouldn't have either. Yeah. Maybe it is. K dash, baby. Um, do you have anything else? No, all my look at all the shit I had written. Yeah, in you had a lot. And yeah, you covered it all. Covered it all. Slightly sweating. I know we really powered through that. Like we we're have... like feral hogs on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> we really are. 
mean, all the fucking I mean, time. they didn't just come upon it like the bear did and like dove in. They dug that shit up. Yeah, they were like, I don't know. It doesn't smell exactly like truffles. It smells more exciting Does than that. Does cocaine smell like anything? I guess people should know that because they sniff it. Um, yeah. Chemically? It's, yeah, it's, it How doesn't did they smell. Know? Those smart hogs were like, well, let's have some fun. It smells like Drano and baby aspirin. <laughs> That's what my dealer cuts it with. <laughs> Guys, drugs hurt. They hurt you and they hurt others. And hog. They hurt hogs. They hurt feral hogs and, who are just trying to be themselves. And sweet, sweet cocaine bears <laughs> who are just trying to live their lives in the forest. What if those feral hogs tore open those packages with their big, crazy fans yeah. and started running and they ran into cocaine bears who were <gasps> Coming the other direction. And they all made friends. And they had the most intense picnic. Conversations about <laughs> intensities. About beehives <laughs> and fucking being vegan. Okay. We've we've worked it all out as I much just want as to see a little can. I just want to see a little hog. Um, put his little paw in the cocaine and rub it on his teeth and tell his, <laughs> tell his friends, yep, it's cocaine! And he's got a capri in the other hoof. One long hoof pinky finger, <laughs> pinky ring, what is it? One long hook. Oh, Jesus. A pinky nail? <laughs> Thank you. And then everyone there's, dives in. There's definitely a pinky ring on that. <laughs> oh. Pinky. That's right. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit 
visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. I think you're first, right? Am I? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, well. All right, I'm going to slow down on this whiskey then. (laughs) (laughs) Georgia, Georgia, she's sleeping. (laughs) It's nap time. I actually brought my tweezers because... For the bathroom? Yes. Okay, you guys need to know at the exactly right offices here, we have this bathroom that has this overhead lighting that is so fucking bright and obnoxiously it's lit it's and it's like hey here's what you really look like you hag you hag <laughs> you think you put makeup on didn't do You're anything <laughs> didn't do shit so we got a we got an office tweezer because every time we go in there all of us go oh shit i have so many like errant a, hairs a black hair sticking out of my chin yeah. where it's like you just sit there going oh my god are other people looking at this yeah so now we this have is a, a nightmare we have a community it's probably not super sterile community tweezers we can get some um rubbing alcohol and stick it in there you could just kind of and every time steven's bad we we pluck one mustache hair (laughs) please don't it hurts that would hurt so bad (laughs) so i mean i know personally it hurts really fucking bad mine are numb now all my mustache hairs they're like please take us please help you Mm. help yourself okay you know what's funny is when I was trying to find a murder for tonight, when I was looking up my choices, uh-huh. I kept finding British murders where I'm like, oh. I'm not doing this one. Yeah, I'm saving it. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Getting my homework done. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I would do, and I, rem- I wonder if you remember this story because it happened in the early 2000s in Los Angeles, California. Oh. And it is very upsetting. <laughs> it's the Grey Widow murderers, Helena Golay and Olga Rudderschmidt. Not off the top of my head. Okay. Well, I think you might as I go. Okay. So the sources um, that I used for this, there's a beautiful article from Los Angeles Magazine. And uh, the title of it is, What Can I Tell You? By a writer named Paul Brownfield. And uh, is this the Katy Perry connection one? No. No. Never mind. <laughs> <John Bonet>. <laughs> um <clears throat> No. Okay. Uh, Wikipedia, although in the Wikipedia article, they call them the Black Widow murders, which isn't accurate. So it's a little bit odd. I think they later kind of adjusted that title because it's not a Black Widow murder. Right. Technically, um, there was a couple L.A. Times articles from the time just reporting on what happened. And then there's a great article written by a writer named Stephen Johnson for a website called 13thfloor.tv. Mm. Have you ever gone on there? For, it's really good. And this guy wrote down. a great great and very comprehensive article about these murders um steven johnson for 13thfloor.tv the website not a secure website just so you know that came up as a in the little are they know, ever they tell days? you that up at the top yeah i guess nothing's secure online anymore nothing's secure in life anymore don't kid yourself it's all going <laughs> down the drain it's all a lie <laughs> it goes all the way to the bottom it goes all the way to hell <laughs> Anyway, um, so okay. tell me. Let's start in 2003. Okay. Were you working on Melrose Avenue at the time? I was 23, so no. Oh, okay. You I think I was, a, I was that. a lunch lady at that time. San Francisco? No, here. Oh, okay. Back or hadn't gone yet? Hadn't gone yet. Okay. I just need to keep your personal timeline in my head. <laughs> I, wish, I wish you would. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All the red yeah. strings that are going in weird <laughs> triangles about your life in my head. It's real boring. <clears throat> okay, so it's 2003 and the Hollywood Pe- Presbyterian Church, the one on Gower, which is... Uh, Gower and... 
It's at Gower and almost Franklin. It's the one that's right by uh, the overpass and the one the oh, Gower yeah. exit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's red brick. Oh yeah, yeah, that real big one. Yeah. Um, it it is it doing what it can to reach out to the homeless people of Los Angeles. Among the needy is a 48 year old man named Kenneth McDavid. So on top of the nightmare of being homeless in Los Angeles, he also suffers with schizophrenia and he doesn't have any family to turn to. Mm. So he goes to the big brick church on Gower near Franklin, hoping that there will be someone there that will help him. And there he meets two older women who are more than generous to him. 72 year old Helen Galay and seven year old Olga Rudderschmidt. Seven year old? <laughs> Did I say seven? Yeah, I picture a little kid. 70. Great. 70. Um, they take it upon themselves to find Kenneth an apartment to pay his rent and his bills wow. and try to help him get back on his feet. Amazing. So, of course, this is a godsend for him. And, uh, uh, he, I mean, he believes it to be. And why wouldn't he? Yeah. Because these, these two nice old ladies, very charitable, they found him a safe place to live. And all he has to do is sign a little paperwork. Oh, dear. So two years later, on June 21st, 2005, around midnight, Kenneth McDavid's body is found in the alley behind the Bristol Farms grocery store in Westwood. Oh. Now, if you've never been to Los Angeles, I don't think Bristol Farms are national. Bristol Farms are the fanciest yes. fucking grocery yes. stores. You, When I first moved to L.A., I wouldn't go inside. No, I go inside once in a while when I'm like in the neighborhood of one and it's and I feel like they want to kick me out. Yes. I always felt like in the 90s when I would go there, I felt like... Like they thought I was shoplifting. Totally. I think because I was thinking of shoplifting the whole time. <laughs> because it's like these $18 bottles of olives. Everything and shit. has truffles in it. Everything is like, oh, you're tr this, the truffle candy. Truffle sugar. It's all truffles. Yeah. And it's all um, insanely expensive. It is hoity fucking toity. Hoity toity like crazy. And only in the way that Los Angeles can yeah. be, where it's that, it's very conspicuous consumption bullshit. Totally. Don't fall for it. Yeah. Okay. But they have nice brown muffins. Uh, well, and also it's like, and if you do have the money, you can go in yeah. there and be like, yeah, I'll, t I'll buy a $37 brand muffin. Check it out. I don't care about money. <laughs> I just want to shit. I just <laughs> I want that fiber in my system. I just want to be regular. <laughs> and I'll pay any price. Okay, let's get back to the horrible. Can murder. we? Okay, so this, it's also the irony, and it's so Los Angeles, that this homeless man who's murdered is, is, yes. his body is behind this grocery store that is literally only for rich people. And it's in a high-end neighborhood. Yeah, Westwood is very fancy. Uh -huh. Um, if you went to UCLA, you know that. Your fucking cookie store. Anyway. <laughs> When the authorities get there, they find that Kenneth McDavid's body, there's pooled blood around his head due to lacerations on his scalp. Mm. He has three broken ribs, a fractured pelvis, and lacerations on his spinal cord. Oh, my God. Uh, the coroner later describes these as crush injuries. <sighs> and according to the toxic toxicology report, Kenneth has a high dosage of prescription sed sedatives in his system. Mm -hmm. So authorities find an ID card in his pocket that points them toward a Hollywood apartment building. They contact the landlord. Um, that person says McDavid has been staying there for a few years, but recently moved out. Um, and the landlord is able to provide police with the name of the woman who's been helping McDavid pay the rent and who signed his lease for him. A woman named Helen Golay. Mm -mm. So they contact Helen to notify her about McDavid's death. She says that she's his cousin. She comes to the morgue to identify the body. And then she pays to have him cremated. Really? So um, investigators track down. They're, they're eventually able to track down surveillance video from 
the hit and run. Um, so they think they it's it's a car accident. Yeah. Well, basically, with the crush injuries, yeah. they were consistent with somebody being hit or run over by a car. Fuck. So they find surveillance video that shows a silver 1999 Mercury Sable sedan hitting McDavid and leaving him for dead. Jesus. But nothing else on the car is identifiable. No plates or whatever. So it's the only lead, and it goes cold until the mighty insurance investigator comes calling. So, oh, shit. yeah, a few months after Kenneth McDavid's body was found, an insurance investigator named Ed Webster shows up to collect the incident report about the accident from the LAPD. Um, he's been trying to get in touch with the beneficiaries of the $500,000 oh. life insurance policy that had been taken out on Kenneth oh. McDavid with his company, Mutual of New York. They had filed a claim, but Webster had been able, unable to track them down. So essentially, he he, um, they filed the claim to get the money and then he reached out and said, yeah, I'd like to meet you guys so we can talk about this. And they never called him back. So that immediately sent his, right. his senses tingling. Um, so as he starts looking into this strange case, he discovers another $500,000 life insurance policy, also in Kenneth McDavid's name. The beneficiaries on that policy also Helen Golay and Olga Rutterschmidt. So um, Helen told authorities that she was um, Kenneth McDavid's cousin, but the life insurance policies state that she and Olga are investment partners who are funding Kenneth McDavid's screenwriting career. Mm-hmm. That's just not a relationship that happens in this town. Right. Nobody funds screenwriting careers. Right. And also... The- Unless you're a successful screenwriter. Right. Then then it's like, hey, we're Paramount. We'd love to, we'd love to fund your screenwriting career. We just want to keep paying career. you. Yeah. Insurance inspector Webster smells a rat. So he goes to the LAPD robbery homicide division um, for help, and he talks to a detective, Dennis Kilcoyne. So Kilcoyne isn't immediately convinced that these two little old ladies are capable of this level of crime. Yeah. He's got lots of other, other robbery homicide shit to worry about, and he's kind of like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Until, um, as everyone's talking about, oh, the two little old ladies that people think or whatever, and then a colleague reminds Kilcoyne of another hit-and-run case from 1999, in which a 73-year-old homeless man named Paul Vados had been the victim. And when they look into that, they find that Vados also had insurance policies taken out in his name, and the beneficiaries no. are Helen and Olga. What the fuck? So they now have picked up a rock Thank where... Thank God someone remembered that. Yes. Well, that's kind of the beauty of, like, these people. It had, it had happened, what, th- f- four five years before? Yeah. But... They hold, they carry that around. Sure. It's like a 73 year old man that in this hit and run. Yeah. Like, you know, that they're kind of like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. And sharing information at least. Yes. And talking about it. Yeah. Um, okay. So now the authorities get serious about this case and they call in the big guns, the FBI, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the baddest of them all, the California Department of Insurance. <laughs> Don't fucking mess. <laughs> They, that's their motto. They're don't fucking, don't mess. fucking mess. They're cold blooded. <laughs> they don't even need to finish the sentence. <laughs> okay, so they all begin to investigate these seemingly sweet old ladies. So let's talk about Helen Golay and Olga Rutterschmidt. Uh, they meet in the eighties because they're two health conscious middle aged women in Los Angeles. Yeah, girl. Um, and. They meet at a West Los Angeles health spa and um, they find out that they have a lot in common. So Olga, uh, she grew up in war-torn Hungary in the 40s. Um, 
suffered injuries from a World War II bomb raid where they Ugh. said the, an entire building collapsed onto Holy her shit. and basically barely escaped World War II Hungary. Um, and Helen had suddenly and tragically lost her father in a car crash at a young age. So the two women bond over their childhood trauma and they become fast friends. So as the years pass, um, both Helen and Olga suffer failed marriages. They have problems with their kids and they have intense financial instability. Mm. They have friends who have very distinct memories of the two women complaining about needing big money fast. And so as their desperation peaks, the two women decide to start committing petty crimes together. Mm. So the story is that Helen Olga would sneak into the Beverly Hills Hotel or the Roosevelt in Hollywood. Fancy, fancy as fuck. Right. They pretend to be registered guests. They go into the locker room. They change into their pool stuff. Now they're both physically fit. It's very L.A. They're both these blondes. How come I can't do that? I'm too scared to do that. Yeah, it's just, it's, you're not a sociopath. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so Helen has this big blonde bouffant mm. and she's like, she's leggy and she's, you know, used to being a hot lady from the past. Right. And Olga has like a Zsa, Zsa Gabor thing nice. going on. So nobody thinks twice about these two seemingly rich middle-aged ladies. Right. Because when you're a middle-aged friend, you can become completely invisible. It's kind of exciting, actually. <laughs> no one fucking gives a shit. Oh, God. So what they do is they change into their pool clothes and they go hang out. Out, and then they steal purses and uh, credit cards out of people's lockers wow. and no one suspects them because of old white lady privilege. Sure. So essentially it's like, oh, it could never be these two. Right. They have so much shitty lipstick on. Yeah. Or whatever. She's <laughs> she's almost exactly like Zsa Zsa Gabor. Yeah. She could never be stealing my fucking credit card. Right. OK. They do that so much and so often and they never get caught. They never even get suspected. So, of course, those petty crimes going on prosecuted emboldens the old gals to escalate to credit card fraud, then insurance fraud, suing small businesses, faking or exaggerating injuries. Fuck what dicks. Yeah. So they start they start realizing how they can make money, which is basically by ripping people off in all different ways. Oh, man. Just like these small businesses I think about who are like suddenly have the stress of, of a fraudulent claim. Yes. That they have to deal with. They're just trying to fucking make ends meet where it's like you've seen it in a bunch of movies or whatever where it's like I'm sure one of them went in you like have a little vial of you know $18 olive oil or whatever and you throw it on the ground <laughs> you got a slip and fall yeah. now it's a lawsuit yeah. you own that dry cleaners or whatever right. it is that's the story and these guys worked that system Fuck. so with all these cases Olga finds herself a fellow Hungarian immigrant lawyer named George Brownfield and he handles all of her cases um, she turns to him for personal injury claims from auto accidents and slip and falls. That's mm. it's one of my favorite um, petty crimes is a fake slip and fall. Slip and fall. Where people fake slipping and falling whoa, whoa, and then whoa, like, whoa, whoa, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> oh, oh it's the worst. All of these cases that she brings to him seem sketchy and embellished, but George is known for his loyalty to fellow Hungarian immigrants in the LA area, so he continues to represent Olga. Um, and this is the lawyer who Paul Brownfield wrote the article about. It's his father. Wow. And the article is beautiful. It's all about how he kind of didn't know his father. And after his father died, he had to go in and he found all these cases, case files shit. and went through all of this stuff to figure out why he would continue to represent this 
criminal. I'm telling you, this is some family secret podcast shit right here. It's totally family secret. Okay, so that's Olga's story. Now, Helen Golay, um, she's a bit of a mystery lady, but from the LA Times article, uh, her hairdresser, um, who wouldn't give her name because she was afraid for her personal safety, um, but she told the LA Times that Helen once explained to her, quote, how a woman could score a windfall by marrying an older man, ensuring his life, and then secretly feeding him daily doses of Viagra until it triggered a fatal heart attack. Oh, God, what a way to go. You're just trying to cut some bangs into some old lady's hair. And then you're like, sorry, what's this? I didn't ask you for advice. I'm s- ma'am. And then and listen, this is what she says. The hairdresser who asked not to be named. Oh, I said that already. The hairdresser quotes Golay uh, as saying, I am evil. You have no idea how evil I am. Anyway, bye. Have a good one. Anyway, like, oh, so three weeks from now, I we'll tip- just touch up these roots. I tipped you 10%. See you later. <laughs> I'm evil, so I tipped you 10%. Oh bye. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, I want to meet that, that uh, hairdresser. How unnerving. Yeah. To come upon these people in real life and have them be like, well, you are my hairdresser. I guess I'll tell you my dirtiest yeah. secret. And she's just like, can you stop talking? Please, please go somewhere else. There's a super cuts down the street. <laughs> okay, so um, usually the cases that Olga would bring to George Brownfield were small and petty until she arrives at his office one day in early 2000 to tell him that her, quote, cousin, Paul Vados, had been run over and killed in an alleyway. Mm. She explains to her lawyer that she and Helen had been taking care of Paul, who she claims was a, quote, retired electrical technician who was barely getting by on his social security. Olga explains that out of gratitude for their help, Paul agreed to make she and Helen the beneficiaries. Oh, it would be her and Helen. Uh, Paul agrees to make her and Helen the beneficiaries on a life insurance policy but now that he's dead the insurance um, the insurance company refuses to give them their payout because paul's death is a potential homicide and the authorities couldn't rule out olga and helen as potential suspects yet um so george takes the case and fights the insurance company because he's olga's lawyer sure um He says that they can't withhold payment unless they can prove Helen and Olga are actually under investigation for the death of Vados. And since there's no proof that they're involved, George wins the case and Olga and Helen are awarded their payout. Holy shit. Their success with this scam emboldens them both to move on to help out another homeless person in need. Kenneth McDavid, which is where we started. Oh, my God. But as all of that proof is piling up, investigators are now hot on the old gals trails. So they start tailing them and um, watching them in action. Yeah. So um, the ladies would frequent that first Presbyterian church on Gower, troll for victims. And it's usually they would look for uh alcoholics or people with mental illness um easy targets for them right um then they'd offer them food and shelter with no strings attached and after some time passed and they'd secure the man's trust they would um tell their new charge that they're going to help um they're going to the bank to help him open his own bank account this is basically getting him back on his feet um and they would make sure to take them to bank of america because at the time it offered a free thousand dollar life insurance policy once a checking account was open, hmm. somehow in connection. Mm-hmm. So they would sign um, their 
basically their target. They would sign him up for that. Oh, and then it would automatically. And then it would have... automatically. And then they would send notifications to increase the right. amount. And so that the, by tens of thousands of dollars, it would start out as a $1,000 life insurance policy. And they'd already signed it. So they could just keep increasing. They could keep Fuck. increasing and they were in charge. And once they had that policy, they could take out several more policies on the same man right. with companies that did their business either online or through the mail only. Right. They didn't have to meet anybody in person. They would just sign him up and then show that he had already had all, they already had all his information. Well, I think these uh, policies should be changed. I, it seems like it's too easy to do yeah. that to somebody. Yeah. And I bet they have been since that time, yeah. I would hope. Gotta hope. So basically, Helen and Olga learned how to game the insurance system mm-hmm. pretty severely. They were cunning and calculating and they're cold-blooded killers. So, um, so as they're tailing the women, um, authorities are horrified to discover that Helen and Olga's names have popped up again as no. beneficiaries on a life insurance policy for a homeless man named Jimmy Covington. Okay. So Olga and Helen meet Jimmy and offer to put him up in a Hollywood office building at no cost. Uh, but Jimmy Covington is smart. He, he, they picked the wrong guy when they picked Jimmy Covington. Cool. Because he already thinks it's weird that they're these nice old ladies and they're just doing all this stuff for free. Yeah. But that they keep insisting he fill out this paperwork and provide them with his personal information. Yeah. So, um, they, they keep coming back and trying to get him to fill out these forms and he just isn't doing it. So one time they just snap and they <sighs> like get really angry and yell at him. And that's when he knows that he's sure he was right and that something isn't yeah. cool about this. So when the next time the grannies go back to check on him and get that paperwork, Jimmy Covington is nowhere to be found. Get the fuck out of there. He fucking, he was like, yeah, I'm not buying any of this anymore. Later days ladies. But by this time, the police have now amassed enough proof of the two women's 20-year escalating crime spree. Um, And they have enough evidence to charge both Helen Golay and Olga Rutterschmidt with felony mail fraud and suspicion of murder. Uh, As they were tailing Olga, they just watched her steal her neighbor's mail. No. Yeah. (laughs) That's a federal offense, Olga. You can't do sure no one's tailing you first. Okay, so on May 18th, 2006, two separate teams of police officers arrive at both Helen Golay's residence residence on the west side and Olga Rutterschmidt's residence in Hollywood and arrest them simultaneously. Mm. And uh, Detective Dennis Kilcoin um, in one of those articles talked about how they wanted to go in. They went in with all these cops. They wanted to like shock and awe, dazzle both of these old ladies. Mm-hmm. So that when they brought them in, like they knew it was a oh, big yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. Everyone saw, the neighbors saw everybody. Yeah. So when they came into the same um, jailhouse where they were getting booked, they would know that they both, that they were super busted right. and it was time to start singing. And they knew it would only be a matter of time before they each flipped on each other. Totally. Um, which is kind of a genius plan. So there's lots of pictures of them getting arrested Ooh, that you can look at on, on the internet. S- okay. Yeah. I love it. So once the police are inside Helen's home, they find a mixture of ground up prescription pills. They say enough to put an elephant to sleep. Fuck. She just has it fucking sitting around in her apartment. Oh my God. Like a mortar and pestle just like <laughs> and she's all she's also um handcrafting specialty cocktails as well uh okay so they also find organized files of all the life insurance policies that she and olga had taken out on their victim okay so she's killing people and can be that organized and we're fucking can't i know you know yes 
Well, also, it's like, why would you keep all that stuff right, right there in your apartment? Like, how how about you go out and get, like, one of those um, storage lockers? Thank you. Storage war that shit. <laughs> Uh, they also find documents from three other men that <gasps> Gole and Rudder Schmidt had tried to insure for around $800,000, but those applications had been denied. And the police wow. say that there was no reason for them to believe that those three men were in danger anymore, okay. but basically that they had kind of gotten processed they and, and been. denied. Yeah. Yes. Holy shit. So though Gole and Rudder Schmidt worked as a team, there was evidence that each was not always aware. Oh, this, sorry, this is from Paul Brownfield's um, LA, LA Magazine article. Mm -hmm. It's a quote. Though Gole and Rudder Schmidt worked as a team, there was evidence that each was not always aware of the other's activity. Mm. Of the 13 policies on McDavid, for example, that's Kenneth McDavid, the, the murder we started with. Uh -huh. Golay was the sole beneficiary on eight. So she had taken oh, wow, without her Helen off well, of eight of them. You can't trust a murdering liar, I guess. Yeah, yeah no honor. Uh, sometimes they tried to remove each other as co-beneficiaries. <laughs> Regardless, insurers sold policy after policy and paid up as often as not. Fuck. End quote. So between the two women, Helen and Olga had gotten themselves paid with these scams uh -huh. nearly $2.8 million. Holy shit. Yeah. Imagine how much they'd make if all of them went through. Right. These bitches are dirty birds. Yep. Okay, so authorities also discover when they're going through these apartments that the mercury sable that was used to kill Kenneth McDavid is registered to a Hillary Adler who goes to the same gym as Helen's youngest daughter, Keisha Hule. Mm -hmm. Hillary Adler, however, didn't buy the car. Years before, her purse had been stolen from the locker room at that gym. Later, Helen had used Hillary's ID to buy the car, telling the dealer it was a gift for Hillary. Mm. So... Basically, they find that Mercury Sable and they find proof that on the night of Kenneth McDavid's death, Helen Golay had called Triple A to have a broken down Mercury Sable towed. No, the car broke down. Yes. After she killed, after someone, they with killed it? someone with it, they had to have it towed. And Triple A has it on record. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, when the, when the police possess the car and they test the undercarriage, yeah. they find Kenneth McDavid's DNA on it. Wow. And so this, they have everything they need to now um, charge these women. So the trial begins on March 18th, 2008. They both plead not guilty. Neither one testifies. Mm hmm. You know they're lunatics. Mm -hmm. over, the, <clears throat> over the course of the three-week trial, each woman's lawyer tries to pin the entire scheme on the other right. woman. It must have been... Uh, this is really horrible and tragic, and it's shocking how cold-blooded these murders are. But to sit in that courtroom and see... This would be a circus. Yeah. It, this would be like high, high-level courtroom viewing, yeah, I, I think. I wonder if this was on court TV. God, I don't remember this at all. Um, okay. Okay, so Helen's defense attorney argues that her daughter Keisha had conspired with Olga, referring to records of phone calls between Olga and Keisha to support this argument. Olga's attorney, however, argues that Helen dazzled Olga with her lavish lifestyle and manipulated her into going along with the insurance fraud plan. He claims Olga didn't know that the schemes would involve murder. Mm. But then... 
Jimmy Covington takes the stand. Oh, shit. Yes. Our friend who got out and was like, fuck these old two old ladies. He busts in and blows the doors off both of those defenses. He is their only living murder for insurance scam victim. And he sets the record straight. And because of that, three weeks after the start of the trial on in April of 2008, Helen Golay and Olga Rutterschmidt are both found guilty of insurance fraud and of the murders of Paul Vados and Kenneth McDavid, and they're each sentenced to life in prison where they remain to this day. And that is the truly disgusting story of the Grey Widow murderers, Olga R- Rutterschmidt and Helen Golay. Wow. I have never heard of that. You haven't? Okay. No. So wait, let me show you this. These are the ladies. <gasps> I mean, oh, that's my. Helen and that's Olga. Oh my God. And then who does Helen remind you of? I don't know who. The woman who killed <gasps> Sylvia Likens? You're right. Isn't that crazy? They look exactly. Dorothea. Dorothea. She has that crazy look. Stephen, sorry. Gertrude Banazus. Banazeski. Banaszewski, probably. Yeah. Yeah, because it's Czechoslovakian. Isn't that weird? She completely looks like that lady. They look exactly the same. For a second, when I was researching this, I was like, that's the lady that tortured Sylvia Likens. But it's just that same weird, upsetting, awful face. So do you think they were in the car together when they hit him? Yes. That's so awful. I hate that, you know, I hate taking advantage when people take advantage of people who are the easiest targets, mentally ill, homeless, you know, it's just like. And I hate that people would have the fucking balls to attend church as if they're there to help too. Totally. When actually they're doing the exact polar opposite of helping anybody. They're, it's so calculating, it's so mercenary, and it's totally disgusting. That is a fucked up story. Isn't that awful? God, good job. Thank you. Never even seen it in my my deep dives into stories. It's uh, when this one came out because it was like no one. They were like on the news it would be like two old women. Yeah. Like no one can believe old ladies. But then these pictures come up and you're like, I it's, fucking believe I it. it. That's the lady that would like pinch you when no no adult was looking and be like <laughs> little girl. That's these. They're both little girl oh women. My God. Yeah. That's fucked up. Horrifying. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye all right okay so if if you'll uh humor me 
Sorry, did you hear that? Yeah, it was loud. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Not okay. That was a. T- I'm so excited that like fall is turning into winter here, and I had to pull out my old thermal long sleeve shirt. You're the, you're double cupping that mug in a I really was, cozy way. I really t- pulled like kind of a Lipton tea, looking out the window, staring you out the did. window. If only we had a fire. <gasps> oh, if only we started this building on fire <laughs> and then ran podcasting. That would be our podcast. Okay. All right. Uh, if he'll humor me, I'm going to start this in a different way okay. by having an intro and then telling you what it is. Interesting. I know. I'm hooked. We're 196 episodes in and I'm going to change it up a <laughs> yes, little. Yes, this is the time. That's right. You have four more episodes to figure out what your permanent <laughs> style is going to be. I just want to keep a relationship interesting and fun. <laughs> Thank you. Keep you on your toes. That's why we're going on vacation together oh, soon. <laughs> we really are. <laughs> After London, um, me, Karen, and Vince are going on a little... It's, we're calling it a retreat. Yeah, it's Just a company retreat company only retreat. we get to go to. Because <laughs> we're already there. Right. No offense, Stephen. Stephen, we'll think of you. Um, let me start. Okay. Karen, yes. let me tell you about Speedway, Indiana. Speedway, Indiana. Speedway, Indiana. It's a middle class enclave of Indianapolis, okay. which we were just in, and it's a fucking rad place. We love doing shows in that place. It's great. All I think of is those the crowds that it just went on forever, yeah. and everyone was great. Everyone's nice. Yep. Um, it's so Speedway, Indiana, is a town, and it's home of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Sure. Oh my god. Yay. Uh, it hosts the Formula Racing's annual Indianapolis 500 every Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> Why did you say that? Like you've never heard of the the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> Those words have never come out of my mouth in my fucking life. <laughs> Truly, that's the first time I've ever said Indianapolis 500. You're not a crazy now. Car head? That's no. weird. There were zero sports in my house. I really had a single mom. Oh yeah, that would make sense. We just didn't have sports. We di- we didn't have Indy five hundred style right. car racing. Was a different realm. Sure, but you know about it. But I do know about it. And I've seen other people like it. Also, what I hear is when you go there and watch it firsthand, pieces of tires no. fly up into your face. No, like it's intense. <laughs> car experience. I, I just keep thinking about if they all have fancy crazy hats on but that's the... Um, <laughs> that's the. I was going to say the Home Run Derby. That's the, what do you call it, Derby. Yeah, yeah. The, der- the Derby. Stephen, any idea? The Derby. <laughs> oh, I just want to say my mom was a huge NASCAR fan <laughs> and she was on a documentary about um, I think uh, Jack Johnson not the singer, the yeah. Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, she was a huge fan and she was in a document, like a fan documentary what about him. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, and it's her birthday when this episode comes oh out. Oh my god, this is Ray Morris. <laughs> so she's she's the one exception to the NASCAR rule. Okay, so rule. You, okay. you've said the words Indianapolis 500 before then. Yes, yeah. Okay, here we are in Speedway, Indiana. During the post-war years and into the 1970s, Speedway um, became a suburban utopia of Indianapolis. Low crime, good schools, none of those big problems with the big cities. Yeah. You know. Um, and by 1970, more than 15,000 people lived there. So it's small, but it's a suburbia. Okay. Uh, though normally a safe place to live, the year 1978 brought some crazy fucking shit to this relatively small suburb. I believe it. 1978, man. People are still hitchhiking. A lot of brown cords. That's right. Great. Set the scene. Well, so first on July 29th, 1978, a local, like, total church-going grandma named Julia Cyphers was shot to death in her own garage in the middle of the afternoon when a stranger showed up at her front door. Her husband answers the door. Um, The man is like, hey, uh, you had had a recent rummage sale. I wanted to see some of these like higher end items that you were selling. 
what? No, that's not how rummage sales work. No. And the guy's like, okay. Come back later. Right. So he's like, let me get my wife. He grabs Julia um, and she brings him to the garage to check out them antiques. Oh. And he uh, takes out a gun and shoots her, uh, killing her, and then drives off without taking anything. What? So it's like a hit. Yeah. Okay. Well. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, you'll talk about it again. Oh, I don't have to guess until I get it right. You're going to tell me a whole story. This podcast is called My Favorite Murder. My Favorite Guessing About Things. <laughs> then, starting a month later, a month, so a month after this, on September 1st, 1978, and lasting until the 6th, so just a few days, a series of six seemingly random bombs go off in public places around the town of Speedway. What the fuck? Yeah, small town and all these fucking, like, bombs are exploding. Mm -mm. The first five explosions didn't hurt anyone. It's almost like they purposely didn't. They were put in places where, like, parking lots and where people wouldn't be around. But then um, the final bomb, an explosive device concealed in a Speedway High School gym bag, detonated in a parking lot of Speedway High School shortly after a freshman football game. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So, like, all these people are going to see this football game. Um, It exploded there. And Vietnam War veteran Carl DeLong is struck by the bomb, which severs his right leg and severely injured his left leg and right hand and severed an artery in his wife Sandra's leg. So, this elderly couple is hit. Carl's leg had to be amputated. I fucking look this up on the My Favorite Murder Gmail and this woman named Miranda emails us. Oh, God. This badass woman. Okay. She says, in September 1978, there was a series of bombings in Speedway, Indiana, the last of which took place at my dad's high school parking lot and blew my grandpa's right leg off and severely injured my grandma. My grandpa was a a Vietnam veteran and killed himself in 1983 after becoming depressed due to the loss of his leg and chronic pain. And she says, my grandma is a fucking badass, by the way, just so everyone knows. I bet she is. Yeah. At this point, so at this point in the 56-year history of Speedway, only two homicides had been reported. And just half a dozen robberies a year had been recorded. So it's a safe place. I was sorry, but I was just going to go go back really quick. Sylvia is the name of the woman who got shot in her garage. Julia Cyphers. Julia Cyphers. I was just going to go back really quick and say this about Julia who got shot in her garage. And Matt, like now that you say that there is only, did you say two Two homicides a year? Oh, no, wait, sorry. Two homicides that have ever been recorded in the history. Okay. So when people, the neighbors and the town found out right. what happened to Julia, right. that must have been the scariest. I mean, like a, a woman shot in her own garage right. that uh, neighbors, friends, people I'm sure knew her. Yeah. Like what a bewildering, frightening thing. And you have no motive. There's no this woman had no known enemies. There's no reason to, to for this to happen to this woman. Date for some reason the daytime element also. Absolutely. It's like it's, the world's gone insane. And it's targeted. Yes. And then suddenly a month later these explosions start happening around okay. town. I just wanna I don't know why I just felt like we we didn't sit on that long enough where I'm like, oh the growing feeling yes. of Julia being murdered for no reason and no one knowing how to explain it. So no one's getting any no. relief. There's no arrest. That's just a growing thing. And then bombs start going off. The worry over these two seemingly unrelated events, which we'll get back to later, yeah. the murder of Julia and the bombings was about to be quadrupled by an event that shook the community and still fucks people up to this day. What? This is the story of the Burger Chef murders. Are you... Ew. I just got the weirdest chill. Really? Are you... Because what the fuck? 
1978. Oh my, all this happened. Okay. Yeah. Please tell me. And actually, I fucking want your opinion on this because it's, I'm sorry to, spoiler alert, it's unsolved. No, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So I need your opinion on this. Okay. Um, I got so much information from Indianapolis Monthly, Indie Star, Medium. There's a podcast that their whole first season is about this. It's called Circle City Crime Podcast or 3C Podcast. And they just cover like the theories and the, you know, evidence and all this about this podcast. Wow. About um, this crime. About about this crime. Yeah. Um, the Already Gone podcast, there's an episode about it. And then I read a book I bought on I bought a book and read it over the weekend called The Burger Chef Murders by Julie Young. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Highlighter and fucking hand. So you're really doing it now. So yes. are you saying that's what we have to do now is like <laughs> really do research? There's certain. So this is like this is a case that hits all my buttons. You know, like the yogurt shop murders. There's something about fast food murders or like, um, you know, store murders that really just like get my blood boiling and get my brain working. And when they're unsolved, I just fucking can't handle it and I'm like the answer is there we have to find it and so I want to know everything about it yeah it makes sense yeah so um, let's get into it. Okay. On the night of Friday, November 17th, 1978, uh, employees of the local Burger Chef fast food restaurant. Do you know that? Did you? You didn't have them. No. So it's basically like Carl's Jr. Oh, okay. So, and they were eventually bought by Hardee's and, it, and Vince knew about it. It's like a Midwestern kind of chain that everyone knew. Burger Chef. Okay. Yeah. So it's in Speedway, Indiana. They're closing up the shop for the night. Assistant manager Jane Freet, who's 20, um, she had recently transferred from the Plainfield Burger Chef. Uh, uh, Ruth Ellen Shelton, who's 18, Daniel Davis is 16, and Mark Flemons, who's also 16. So there's a bunch of fucking kids closing Which up the shop. Also, I think is part of it. Too. Right. It's someone's taking advantage of the youth element in most um, fast food and retail situations, right. where it usually is a couple of 17 year olds pretending yeah. that they they're holding it down right when actually that's like the most exploitable um like they're trapped as a victim but it also makes it so much more scary that it wasn't someone alone closing up it was four fucking people Ugh, yeah okay all right so uh, they're closing up in the evening. A little later, after midnight, another employee drives by the burger chef and he notices all the lights are on. And he's like, that's fucking weird. It should be closed and dark by this point. So he stops by to check it out, only to find the back door open and all four employees gone. Oh, he notices that the both female employees purses are still there and there's two coats left behind, which is strange. It's the middle of fucking November. It's like 30 or 40 degrees. Mm -hmm. You don't leave your coat behind. Right. He immediately calls the police. And when they arrive on the scene, they find over five hundred and eighty dollars in cash missing, which in doesn't sound like a lot. But in today's money, it's twenty two hundred about twenty two hundred dollars. Yeah. Um. But a couple hundred more in change are left behind. And Jane Freet, the assistant manager, her car is missing from the parking lot. The cash register tills are like thrown on the ground. Mm. The manager's office is kind of a mess. It's where the safe is. And it shows signs of a struggle. And there's an empty roll of duct tape nearby. So 
but instead of thinking it looks suspicious, like the teenager did who called the fucking cops uh, and treating it like a crime scene, the local law enforcement assumes that the missing workers stole the money and later day to go out partying for the night, mm. left the back door open, left their purses and jackets behind, left it a mess. And it's these four fucking responsible kids who have jobs and are all in like, I don't know, 4-H or whatever the fuck. Right. When you're if you're a teenager that has a job right. that's as hard as fast food, yeah. you are not messing around no, like that. Absolutely not. You don't you're not that kid. That's the rich assholes that have no idea what how these things impact right. people. Exactly. It's a different style of person. And then you look at clues like purses and jackets leaning left behind and you know something's not right. Now, but this just it's pops this pops into my head because we've heard so many of these stories. Yeah. But there was this time where whoever showed up first right. got to theorize and if it was the kind of person who was like, I don't want to do this that much totally. longer. I don't want to get basically I don't want to get involved. And I think maybe sometimes it's I don't want to I want to think this because right. the alternative is horrifying. Right. Or, and also there's only been two homicides in my city in this long. I don't know how to fucking work a homicide scene. Right. Yeah. And if I don't know how, instead of getting someone that does know how right. and being like, I don't know, better to just blame and feel superior and walk away. And walk away. Which... I don't know if it happens as much anymore. I, I don't think not. I feel like there's more oversight. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened. Um, so let's see. So they call the store owner and the next morning an opening crew are told to finish the uh, closing duties, clean up and open the store as usual. No. And th this is like, in my mind, this is why the case has never been solved. Like, because they, they cleaned up the crime scene. They wiped away any fingerprints that could have been there, any DNA or blood samples. They wiped down all the countertops. No crime scene photos were taken. <sighs> There's nothing. And I want to remind you of the Browns Chicken Massacre, yeah. um, which they had bagged and tagged all the um, trash, remember? Yeah. And then nine years after the uh, the the murders, they used a chicken, a half-eaten chicken leg in the trash to as a DNA match to the killers. Yeah. So the, the shit's important. They threw all the trash away. Couldn't be more important. Right. Yeah. So... Um, the next morning, though, when the four employees hadn't shown up at their homes, their worried families, all knowing their kids weren't all knowing their kids were responsible and reliable. They raise the alarm. They file missing persons reports and they're like, something's fucking going on. Yeah. Later that day, Jane's missing car is discovered, parked a short drive from the restaurant and just a couple blocks from the police station. Oh, no. I know. Oh, the car is like vaguely searched and cops find a couple Burger Chef wrappers. They take some cigarette butts. The driver's side door is locked, but the passenger door is not. Mm. What does that mean? I don't know. But it's becoming clear that the workers had been abducted while closing the restaurant and uh, possibly when someone was throwing trash bags out because there was like one trash bag in the dumpster. Oh. So while the door was open, maybe that's when someone hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a full-on search is issued for the missing kids, and on Sunday, two days after the Burger Chef employees are reported missing, some local hikers find a gruesome scene in a rural wooded area in Johnson County, which is the next county over. It's about 30 to 40 minutes drive from Speedway. Mm. In a clearing, the bodies of the four missing workers... This is so sad. All still in their brown and orange Burger Chef uniforms yeah. were found. 
Daniel Davis and Ruth Ellen had both been shot execution style numerous times with a 38 caliber firearm. So it was almost like they had them lay down there. Then Jane was found a little ways off and had been stabbed twice in the chest so violently that the blade was later recovered from her body, but the handle was never found. Oh, my God. So it seemed to me, it seems like Jane and the other uh, employee, Mark, made a run for it. Yeah. Right. So about 75 yards away from the others, Mark Flemons is found. He's also he's the strongest and most athletic of the group. So it's determined that he was um, bludgeoned with an unknown object, maybe a chain uh, that was never found. Um, but he also this is fucking horrible. He also suffered blunt force head injury. So coroners speculate that he tried to make an escape, but maybe ran into a tree mm-hmm. while he was running away. Right. And then uh, fell and choked on his own blood. Ugh. And it's possible that the captors thought he had got away and didn't know until the bodies were found that he had died. Oh, God. So it sounds like the two of them made a fucking run for it, which is like heartbreaking. Right. It also sounds like she fought them yeah if she was stabbed that violently like they were mad at her for doing something yeah and it does seem too that like uh it's weird to have three different ways of uh murder right so maybe there it says there's like more than one assailant yeah or even two right right so Officers from Johnson County, where the bodies are found, Marion County, where the burger chef was, and the Indiana State Police all arrive on the scene. Good. No. Oh. <laughs> um, it's the state police's crime scene since it's inter-jurisdiction. And of course, there's a fuck. It's 1978. There's a power struggle between the departments. Johnson County Sheriff Tom Pritchard. He So uh, he was left out of the loop. And he was by the state police and he was pissed about it. And he said, quote, if they're going to treat us this way, we're not going to bend over backward to help them. She's like, you're not helping them. You're helping these fucking murder victims. Yeah, it's not. If you can't if you can't handle the basic politics of of this stuff, you probably shouldn't be in that business. I mean, it's so frustrating. Every time anything is like this, I immediately just think of, I start watching the Zodiac movie in my mind. Yeah. Because it's all that stuff of like, it's all weird, like pissing contests. Totally. It's infuriating. Especially for a cold fucking case that like, it's just mishandled. Yeah. So either way, some of the first officers at the scene claim that the state police move the bodies before the forensic team or the coroner arrived. I don't know if that's true. I've just read it in a lot of places. Yeah, why would they do that? I don't know. And since no one roped off the crime scene, there are footsteps everywhere from the three different departments trampling into potential forensic evidence. Just a different time, too. Totally. After the news of the discovery, the burger chef puts up a $25,000 reward for any information on the case, and they help the families with funeral costs. Uh, the town of Speedway is, of course, f- now fucking in a goddamn panic. I bet. I mean, that's it's too much. It's that's like too much. It's that's three massive tragedies. Right. Uh, you move away row? from the si- the big city to get away from like the crime. And this is and your town is just fucking besieged with it. Yeah. Is that yeah. a word? Yes, it is. OK, great. Mm-mm-mm-mm. The same day the Burger Chef murdered. Oh, oh, OK, this is fucked up. They're found on Sunday. That's the next day. 
the murders are in the paper. It's the exact same day. It shares a headline with uh, the news of the bodies being found of the mass suicides in Guyana at the Jonestown compound. No. Reverend Jim Jones, he's an Indiana native, had originally formed his People's Temple uh, cult in Indianapolis. Is that true? Yeah. So, like, this fucking little area is losing its fucking mind. That's... And also, that news itself... Eclipsed. Eclipses everything that happened for months after that. Right. So maybe this could have been a national news story and could have gotten more leads, but instead... Yeah, and everyone's focused on this massive, insane, huge tragedy. Understandably, but... But still, it could have... If it had the airtime... Yeah. Something could have been made of it. Oh, God, this is awful. I know. Sorry. No. Okay. I want to take this on. Okay. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Because I can stop. (laughs) No, you can't. (laughs) If we could have stopped, we would have done it by now. But we can't. We would have done it 195 episodes ago. (sighs) The leading theory in the Burger Chef murders is that the employees were kidnapped following a botched robbery uh, when one of the killers entered the Burger Chef. While one of the employees were taking out the trash, maybe one of the abductors uh, was uh, recognized by one of the employees and they were like, we now have to kill you all. Mm. But it still puzzles investigators that the employees weren't killed at the Burger Chef because there's so many of these stories from back then where they're found in the cooler or in the manager's office by the safe all killed. Right. But it's such a huge risk to take them to another location 30 to 40 minutes away. And four people. Four people who are still alive and they take one of the cars and maybe they there's like a wait a car waiting that that's where they take them to. Mm. Whatever. Yeah. It's just it's really fucking weird and there's no like explanation. Yeah. So after the bodies are discovered, a 16 year old eyewitness comes forward and he says that the night of the murders, he and his girlfriend were making out on the train tracks overlooking the burger chef. And they see two suspicious men in a 1973 or 75 green van with bubble windows outside the Burger Chef just before closing. Mm -hmm. It's the only eyewitness. He describes the men as shabbily dressed white men, both estimated to be in their 30s. One man has a beard who becomes the bearded man. Okay. And the other is clean shaven with light hair. And he's acting suspicious. He keeps looking down while trying to conceal his face with a bandana. Oh, sounds like them. Like the people who did it. Yes. Right? The teen said the men approach them and tells them to leave because there's been reports of vandalism in the area. So the teens take off. It's almost like they, the perpetrators knew that there was someone nearby and they were like, get the fuck out of here. They cased it, maybe. They cased it. They see these kids. They're waiting for the kids to leave. They're not leaving. They know they have to get in there before the trash is taken out or Mm -hmm. whatever. They make them leave. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. That makes sense. So the police make a com- make composite sketches. Sorry, it also yes. just a theory. It also maybe points to they only they could have been totally on drugs. They only wanted to rob it, and then something went wrong. Right? They weren't looking to kill anyone. Yeah, they just want they wanted no witnesses. They wanted their money, and they wanted to get out of there, which As, is yeah. usually how those things I think go. Right. But the then robbers and burglars aren't necessarily murderers. No. Or don't want to be, at least. One would think, because that's the whole idea. You want to get away and spend your money and you yeah. know, just steal money. Right. That's a different thing than cold-bloodedly, mur- terribly, yeah. viciously murdering teenagers. Exactly. Also, they warning two teenagers to get out of here. Right. They would have just killed those kids if that was the case. Exactly. Yeah. If, they, if they were... Yeah. But here's the other thing that bothers me. These two guys might have nothing to do with it. They're just two weirdo randoms that, like, yeah. 
It could be that's, a red herring. That's the problem. And it's those, these two. So um, the police make composite sketches based on the eyewitness description of the suspects. Those look incredible and so fucking realistic and creepy. Ooh. And so they're like, that's, that is the clue because everything else was fucking destroyed. Um, they make clay, 3D clay models uh, when the leads don't come up with the drawings. They're the, they don't look anything. They're the creepiest nightmares oh. I've ever seen. Oh, no. I know. Bless their hearts. They need to get the artist that did the John List 3D clay yes, model. Very much that so. Genius. I think it was a woman. There's fucking so many theories to get into. Listen to the 3C podcast. They get into them. Okay. Pretty much every investigator, whether they've been assigned to the case or not, has a different suspect. They're convinced is the perp. They're all mad at each other and they all think this is the, this is the perp or that's the perp and no one can, you know, prove it. Okay. Each theorist claims to have inside information regarding their suspect. It includes ties to biker gangs, armed robbery crews, organized crime, a police officer's nephew, and connection to the I-65 murders. There's just so many theories going on. Just can I come in as an armchair yes, quarterback? That's what we're here for. And say it's not the mob. No. It's, it's not the mob. It's not the mob. You take that off the list. Yeah. Because even the... It, it's stupid. That's not how they do it. And you know that's not how they do it. The drug smuggling aspect, I kind of believe. There's even a theory that, like, maybe they were using... The, the drug smugglers, and there were a lot in that area at the time, were using the bathrooms at the Burger Chef to, like, put their drugs in, and then the person would come pick them oh, up in, the, in a okay. hiding place, and maybe one of the Burger Chef employees found it, and those people lost their shit and also knew that they could turn them in for those drugs. So they yeah. had to kill them all. Yes. Yeah. Like they became witnesses to the to the bigger crime exactly. that was going on. And then they had to be gotten rid of. Exactly. It, yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. So this is, this is big. I know. Uh, one through line is the bearded man. This guy comes up in like a bunch of different iterations. Investigators Ken York and Stony Van from the Indiana State Police are certain that a robbery gang was operating in the Indianapolis area. They think they're the culprits. Okay. This gang had had already hit several other burger chefs and fast food restaurants. They were like fast food bandits. Okay. Including burger chefs. And in fact, after getting a hot tip about one of these dudes dubbed the shotgun man, they were serving a warrant to this guy and his, their neck, his next door neighbor is mowing his lawn and they're like, holy fucking shit. That's the, that's the bearded man. Like apparently it looked exactly like him. Really? Yeah. And the shotgun man is the fair haired guy. There's other people involved. Whoa. As a result, they had the man, the spirited man, whose name we don't have because he was never uh, indicted. Okay. He is brought in, uh, in for questioning and for a lineup. When he shows up the next day, he had shaved his beard that he had had for the past five years. Uh-huh. Sure right? he did. Of course he did. Sure he did. Years later, when the bearded man dies, his son comes forward and says his father had given him a deathbed confession that he had done it. But there's no, there's Pro nothing. Okay. There's nothing. Can't prove it. To tie it together. Okay. And there's some of those people who are part of that gang that are still alive that there's nothing to tie them together. And these um, investigators are like, the case is solved. We know who did it. We just can't prove it. Wow. Yeah. What about those cigarette butts? Uh. I don't think they might have just belonged to Jane. Oh, right. 
Okay. And the Burger Chef rappers, she worked there. And there's might nothing. Have just been yeah, her. It's so I frustrating. Okay. I know. So, Marion County Sheriff's Department, a different department, investigators Mel uh, Wilsey and Gary Maxey, they're certain it's a man named Donald Wayne Forrester. He's a popular suspect among followers of this case. At 34 years old, Donald, Donald Wayne Forrester, this guy's a fucking piece of shit. Mm. He had just been convicted of raping a woman in Hamilton County and had like priors for like, he was a fucking pedophile. Uh burglar piece of shit okay he and an 18 year old accomplice had abducted a woman as she left a nightclub and driven her out of town and raped her and she had only escaped by jumping from the moving car jesus christ yeah hell yes girl guess how long he got for this oh. conviction no, no 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 this is a good one oh 95 years in oh, prison really can you fucking believe it in the 70s fuck yes that's for what that we're one talking female about. judge in indianapolis <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's incredible. Isn't it great? Yeah. Um, and he was about to be transferred uh, as a sex offender in the general population of the... AKA killed. You're going to get killed <laughs> at the Indiana State Pr Prison in Michigan City, which what everyone's saying is this, that you'll get killed even if you're not a fucking pedophile. Oh, okay. If you are, you're fucking dead. Now you're you're truly dead. Which makes, which makes me not believe it's him because he's trying to get out of this. So he's like, I know about the Burger Chef murders. Oh, got it. You know what I mean? Yes. It's the, the jailhouse confession exactly. type of thing that's going to get him out. And he never has anything totally concrete. He is an attention whore too, which is why many people think that he, uh, they write off his subsequent information on the case and he eventually confessed on tape that he had shot David. He was the one who shot Davis and Shelton. And according to him, what had happened was that Jane Freet's brother, James. So Jane is the assistant manager okay. closing that night that her brother owed money from a drug deal. And uh, in fact, that that made sense with James Freet's criminal record. Okay. But that's what he's been cleared. So they say that the brother owed money. He and his associates uh, came to threaten Jane and to threaten her brother. Okay. And then Flemons, who was one of the kids, stepped in to protect her and he's killed. So then they have to kill everyone. But wasn't he killed 30 miles away in the forest? They said like he hit his head and they had to take them all away all of a sudden. But it's like no blood was found, but also no blood was looked for. So who the fuck knows? Okay. Okay. So that's just one of the theories. theories. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The most compelling fact is that Forrester's ex-wife told authorities in 1979 that her husband, this guy Forrester, had brought home some shell casings and had flushed them down their toilet from the area. Right. The investigators, years later, dig up the septic tank of yes. this house. Yes. And find shell casings. Fuck yeah. Which they say match the bullets used in the Burger Chef murders. But for some... They must not completely, that must not be enough evidence. There must just not be enough. It's probably not, the. it can't be conclusive for... Exactly. Yeah. Which I think now they're saying that's not conclusive evidence anymore. Like hair and fiber shit. How they're and like... Blood spatter yeah, and all exactly. these things. I mean, ballistics though. Ballistics, but they've been in a septic tank for fucking yes. like a decade. Yeah. Metal, metal is affected by your acidy urine. That's right. By your brand muffins. Georgia. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're blaming me for the acid urine? I'm now? so sick of the way your acid urine ruins. <laughs> Sorry. No, I love it. <laughs> uh, they, so they, in all, detect these detectives spent 18 months pursuing Forrester full time. They just like zero in on him. And I think they maybe get blinders on it and don't. And in my mind, it's like. It makes sense. Yeah, they, they drive him out to, and they're like, he picked out where it was. But now that we know all these like confession tapes, 
on Netflix talking about how easy it is to feed to lead someone to a spot like it's just hard to believe he failed two polygraph tests and later recanted his confession died of cancer in 2006 so but they still think it's him um okay roundabout remember the bombings you sure do okay we're going back to that okay on september 20th 1978 federal agents arrested a 27 year old man named brett kimberlin for attempting to illegally obtain united states government credentials here's this guy he's a fucking odd bird he's a known drug trafficker in speedway and around the surrounding areas but he also put his money in legit cover businesses like retail health food store a vegetarian restaurant and earth shoe franchise earth shoes did you know them yeah they went uphill (laughs) the front of the shoe was higher than the back of the shoe and so i think they tried to sell them like uh, ergonomics or something where it was like you were always walking uphill and it was supposed to be good for you oh my god well he had a franchise (laughs) he had an earth <laughs> that's that'd be like if he was like i'm i'm gonna take my drug money and invest it in a bunch of dr shoals yeah it's basically in health food stores back in the 70s like yeah, nobody's this, that. that guy's a genius because right. no one suspects hippies exactly okay so they obtain a search warrant after this after they arrest him for his home and vehicle investigators found wiring similar to those used on the explosive devices Ooh. of this guy yeah and the subsequent search of his home reveals more than 1,000 pounds of marijuana. That's too much That's marijuana. That's problem. Wait, oh, you're right. That's way too much marijuana. But back then... It's like an elephant. Like one pound of marijuana is, is equal to like one hit of marijuana. Is it? Today, today's. Today, yeah. You had, to, you had to smoke all of that and knock it as high as you could off like a vape yes. pen today. Uh, off of one gummy that you accidentally <laughs> eat at the concert that your friend's like, come on, split it with me. And then I you're just like you the- crying in the corner and you can't actually sip your drink because you, the liquid you, won't go in. Did you see me at the yes, spill? I've been week? watching. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. So there's no motive established at the bombing trial, but prosecutors and police believe Kimberlin went on the bombing spree to deflect attention away from another ongoing investigation that was focusing on him. What's oh. that other ongoing investigation that he used a bomb to distract from? The murder of Julia? Yep. Are you fucking kidding? Here's what fucking happened. While authorities were looking into the murder of 65-year-old Julia Cyphers, they discovered that Julia, quote, violently disapproves of her daughter, her daughter's relationship with Kimberlyn. So her daughter, <gasps> who's like in her 20s, is friends with this guy, Brett Kimberlyn. And he's a, and she's a, Julia is especially concerned about the strange affection Kimberlyn is paying to the the her to Julia's granddaughter, yep. who's fucking ten years old, oh. and he's like twenty something, yep. and he's fucking clearly grooming her. Yes, um, and Julia's like, no, thank, no, Julia's this like, isn't happening. No way. Her daughter is kind of letting it happen, or blind to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Julia learned that her granddaughter had gone with Kimberlyn on on several solo out of state trips. No, nope, and proclaimed that he wanted to marry her when she grew up. No, 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 no. 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 So Julia's like, hell no, and was in the process of arranging for her daughter and granddaughter to come move in with her because she wanted to get them away from Kimberlyn. Yes. And it was possible. So she was she was going to report him for drug smuggling and pedophilia because she knew that her daughter was beginning to help uh, smuggle drugs for Kimberlyn. Shit. So she basically tried to break in on this super super pervy disgusting criminal and the bullshit he was pulling on her family and before she could do it she was shot in the head in her garage so the husband didn't know julia's husband didn't know what the boyfriend looked like well here's the thing oh um he 
he briefly saw the shooter. He, it wasn't Kimberlyn. He knew Kimberlyn. Okay. But it was identified as a close associate of Kimberlyn's named William Bowman. And he's the one who shot the, his wife, he said. Holy. So you were fucking right in the beginning of the holy hit. Holy shit. It goes all the way to the, yeah! to the fucking bowels of hell. That's right. In June 1981, Kimberlin's convicted of the bombing and drug charges. He receives a sentence of 50 years in federal prison. Mm. After his conviction, prosecutors released yellow legal pads that they had confiscated from him, which said... Uh, had detailed plans to kill key eyewitnesses and prosecutors on the case, as well as stage another series of bombings to provide him an alibi. Dude, the bombing thing doesn't work. (laughs) So the day of the first bombing was the same day that Kimberlin was supposed to come into the police office to talk to detectives about Julia's claims. So that's, he used a bomb to distract them and make them busy. He couldn't come in and talk to them. Oh. So the bombing... Uh, part being a distraction to the investigation is an important clue here because you see Kimberlyn had begun to include Julia's daughter in his drug smuggling business and the night before she was going to be called in to talk to authorities the Burger Chef murders occurred. So this is fucking conspiracy theory bill and there's no fucking proof at all i'm just getting the feeling of the cop that starts linking these things together and the feeling they must have gotten as they're like wait ding ding these random crazy awful violent things are not random and it's a stretch to go from uh killing this specific target and setting off bombs that seems like he didn't actually plan to hurt anyone and as soon as he did the bomb stopped the bombing stopped right but he did count Melinda told us uh, he did counter sue her family when they tried to sue him to get money for her grandparents' uh, injuries. Are you serious? Yeah. Investigators continue to follow leads relating to possible suspects. They go to Cincinnati, Milwaukee, Chicago. They go everywhere trying to fucking track down leads, but they've been unable to come up with anything promising. They can't locate any of the evidence they thought would have been useful, like a gun, any of the murder weapons. Despite thousands of hours of police investigation, the attackers were never prosecuted, and the case remains officially unsolved 40 years later. It'll be 41 a couple days after this comes out. Oh, my God. That's right. Retired state police investigator Brock Appleby said, quote, that investigation could be used as an example of what not to do. During the summer of 2018, the community of Speedway raised money to plant four red oak trees in honor of the Burger Chef victims. Each tree is a plaque with a short description of each of the victims. Ruth Shelton's says creative, honest and kind with a love for music. Jane Freet says a leader with a sense of humor and a heart of gold. Mark Fleming says friendly and selfless with a sense of style. And Daniel Roy Davis says talented photographer who made loved ones smile. And that oh. is the Burger Chef murders. Holy shit. Yeah. That is unfucking believable. How crazy is that fucking story? It's so weird. And you know, what's funny is that I really did. I've heard the name of the Burger Chef murders. Yeah. And I assumed I put them in. Totally. I put it in with basically every other case Brown's you just mentioned. Murder. There's so many. Yeah. Where you just go, 
Okay, this is a story of human greed where somebody who it's the 70s, people are all on fucking terrible crank oh my and God. really bad PCP. white drugs. Shit that like no one should have put into their body. No. They've gone totally insane and now they're just shooting other human beings for $40. And like for thrill, like thrill kills and yes. shit. And weird bullshit of like, we'll just do this until the cops kill us. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, yeah. that, that's a common story. So a lot of those ones and, and we have different interests when we look in these things Mm -hmm. i'm more in the serial killer realm of what is this intense psychopathy but stories like that especially when they're unsolved i find very frustrating and upsetting so i just put this in the file of all the other fast food murders basically i didn't know any of that shit i did too but then i started reading uh the book about it and it's just there's like crimes that like I could have gone into the I-65 murders. I could have gone into like other local. There were other local fast food chain murders that had happened around that time. Unbelievable. There's so many stories about them. And then these four fucking people who you think about what they went through the last couple hours of their lives being taken away and knowing this was like not going to end well. Maybe yes. knowing their killers. Right. Personally, it's just it's horrific. It's horrific. Oh, my God. Amazing job. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, there was... There was something as you told me that I was watching my own reactions to it and I couldn't stop wanting to say jokes because it was starting to freak me Sorry. out. No, no, no. But I <laughs> no, mean, I've, I, yeah, I've been... when people ask us about the, the weird connection or isn't it inappropriate or blah, 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 right. it really is the way I deal with stress and being upset Definitely. and being of extremely unhappy for other people is I need to comment on it in a way that (laughs) well we break the tension you're breaking because I am filled with tension right now because that's incredibly terrible yeah yeah sorry no I mean (laughs) but also it's the kind of tension where you go yes let's all let's all talk about these stories as long as we have to so that you do have current day police people saying you do not do it this way we no longer do it this way we have learned the lessons from these terrible cold cases where people are murdered and nobody pays for it well it's the same thing too of why I love uh, hometown stories and why like I've always been fascinated by people's hometown murders is like Speedway, Indiana is this place where everyone was traumatized. Yes. In the late 70s, everyone's parents have this story about it. You know, everyone's parents worked at this fast food place and had the night off and all these. And and everyone was scared of the bombings. And it kind of like you have this little town where this little thing happens that's not national news that traumatizes the town and makes everyone make decisions differently. Yes. And And everyone has those stories. And if it wasn't for the very bizarre coincidence of of jonestown happening Mm -hmm. breaking on the same news day it would have been a national story it would have stayed a national story but instead it just got obliterated yet it was still there and for that town it's never not been there yeah i mean unbelievable yeah yeah wow crazy should we do Fucking hooray! Wrap this shit up. It feels inappropriate, <laughs> honestly, to do a fucking hooray. Well, that's the whole idea of fucking hooray, that's though. True. It's Let's we do the about it's our... the record scratch moment. Okay, okay, we're not there anymore. And it hey, cleansing a little gratitude that it's no longer 1978. Oh, thank God, it wasn't a nice time. I was there. Yeah, I was there riding backwards on station wagons <laughs> with 17 other kids in one car. No seatbelts. No seatbelts. Smoking with the windows rolled. Adult smoking. Children smoking. We were forced to smoke in carpool. <laughs> 
That's right, Ann Benedetti. I'm confronting you. Just and kidding. Just she was the best. She was the best carpool mom. weed, too. <laughs> and pounds, thousands of pounds of weed I'm would shitty. still not get you high. It was all skunk. Just give you a headache. <laughs> okay. Speaking of that. Do you want to go first? Sure. I just, my fucking hooray. And Vince? I got- <laughs> no. <laughs> Sometimes you get that tone of voice where you're like, I just have to say one more thing Vince did, well, which I it's, love. It's not far away. Okay. It, it is a love. Okay. Uh, I got to see my brand new baby nephew over mm. the weekend. So yeah, you fucking saw the look in my face. Yeah, it's your love voice. Aww. I recognize it. He's just, he's brand new. How big? Like a month old, barely opening his eyes. Is it like this? He's like not funny yet. Like watermelon size? He's not, not even. <laughs> not even. Smaller like than? Like teeny tiny. Cantaloupe? Can't. Mm. But oblong? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he just smells so good and he's got these little hands and he's just like so precious and sweet and cute. And I'm Yay. Just, I love holding him. I'm just staring at him. But this is... um. My other nephew's baby the four, brother. The 101 to the 405 to the 110. Yes. <laughs> Favorite, just quick reminder if you don't know, George's other, other nephew, who is four. Four, yeah. Just repeats what he hears his parents say, which is what all children do. Yeah. But when you live in Los Angeles, you often say things like the 101 to the 405 to the right. 10 to the, the 110. 10 to the 110. <laughs> well, you know what else he says now? And I feel like he, he's such a hard stark and I love it. He's When someone asks him to do something he doesn't want to do, he goes, I'm tired. <laughs> which hard starks are like champion nappers. And I'm just like, yes. I'm tired. I'm tired. So he has this little baby brother now, and oh, that's the best. So sweet. That's nice. That's a good one. Yeah. What's yours? Uh, mine's very similar. It's about my <laughs> fan weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't because we posted um, a live show last week. We never really got to, like, I was saying this before we started recording. I was saying this to you and Steven. We never really got to, like, do a full on, yeah. um, talk down about how that weekend was for us. Um, so I just want to say now it was bewilderingly wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we were, or at least I'll speak for myself. No, I, I can speak page. for you. Yes, you can. We were so fucking worried that it wasn't <laughs> going to go well. We were so worried. There we were, were like so many variables that could have gone wrong. Yes. And we were thinking about all of them. And we were worried. We were very st- stringent about the way we were doing it and how much we were asking of people. And we were very uncomfortable and it the whole thing was very worrisome yeah. um, in our way of we want people to feel good and ha- be happy that they're participating. And so holding, I didn't understand how much of that stress I was holding until the n- night one when we walked out to give the welcome speech. Yeah. And all of these listeners were standing there and they also put it in this the most echoey kind of <laughs> yeah. the spot that they could have. But the uh, like the cheering and the clapping that we got in that moment was so exciting and beautiful and kind of like another one of those moments where we stand there and go like, oh, they're with us. Yeah. Like we don't have to worry that all of a sudden all these people are going to be like cross their arms and be like, my thing didn't come on time. We don't like, like you anymore. That's not how. Yeah. Our people do it. No. And that kicked off the most fun weekend yeah. where we got to have great conversations and talk to people and see people. There are people that have come to so many shows of ours. Yeah. Laura, who came, yeah. who's, who, um, 
I mean, there's there, there's all these people and there was people that we just kept meeting who kept saying, like, I just met these friends. And I came alone. Yes. I, I got tagged in so many group photos of we didn't know each other. And now we're all best friends. And we all came together because we met through My Favorite Murder. And it, it was so heartwarming. It was incredible. Then the murderino makers who came yeah. to sell their stuff at the weekend all told us they had the best like yes. sales weekends of their lives and everyone was so friendly and cool and excited and the products were amazing and yeah. it just all felt it was just like it was such a satisfying and then then of course all of our friends got to be there you know we yeah. percast murder squad um io till it right dj dante fontana and dj fifi larue are close friends amazing and then just all the people that came and like threw down and participated and, yeah. the, and the very last night i will say this just to wrap it up okay. it, it, this is a big thank you but it's also like this is a it's such a weird experience <laughs> it's the weirdest a, can, and it just keeps getting fucking weirder i know it's like it's hard to anticipate anything i felt the same way when we came out that first night it was like you're with us you're so with us like it was 25 times louder than yeah. what i thought it was going to be because i thought it would be like people sipping their wine yeah. and being like oh yay we finally landed and it, the energy and the enthusiasm uh, and the love was so amazing so lucky and um we had great conversations but then at the very very end the last night we went back to our hotel and there were two sets of people that were in the hotel in this hotel bar that was completely empty yeah except for i want to say one woman's name was joyce um I bet you're right and i think the other one's name was kathy Damn. but anyway one was there with a uh, was it was her and her husband's anniversary weekend mm -hmm. that he got the package for her mm -hmm. and he was saying <laughs> he had a shirt that said keep your eyes on the what was it and he had a shirt yeah. about how his wife might kill him right that was so funny never turn up never never like sleep with one eye open when you're married to a murderino yes that's he, she had made him a shirt <laughs> yeah. that said that she when we walked into this empty bar, basically, stood up, gave us a standing ovation. Oh. I walked straight over because she looked like yeah. a familiar person. And then she gave me a speech about how proud she is of us Aww. that was so goddamn touching and so momish yeah. and beautiful. And then the other woman's name, and I want to say Kathy, but that's kind she of... She was on her honeymoon. She was on... Her, it was her birthday weekend. That's right. And her husband got her the package for the birthday, for her birthday as a gift. They were so sweet. It was just like everywhere we turned, there was a person going hey hooray and it was cool too because like our agents were there who we love joan oren yeah steven was there with his amazing girlfriend jay yep. was there with his amazing girlfriend danielle was there adrian yep. was and there. Lauren were there it was just like it was a really fun vince of course and vince of course was running the show but it was like it was really also it was like a shit it was um live show experience for us but we weren't alone yeah because we've been going out and traveling all around and having those experiences by ourselves and then coming back and being like bye see you later yeah <laughs> like it's we, very weird to we process. hug in the elevator and like good job and <laughs> good job bye. like 6 a.m tomorrow please be downstairs at 6 a.m <laughs> um yeah so it it was kind of like pulling everybody in to go can you please come and watch this experience yeah. that we've been having and understand it with us because it's not so Long story short, thank you. Yeah, and and hopefully we'll do more weekends and in, in we'll, different places. And yeah, we have to do it. We have to do it more because we really we and thank you for CID, which is yeah. the company that arranged the entire thing. Every single person said 
that the people they worked with, all the people that helped them were yeah. great. Everything went on time. Everything was beautifully done. And the Arlington Theater in Santa Barbara was so generous and gorgeous. Gorgeous. And it was like our home base. Anyway, yeah. just like, <laughs> oh, my God. And thank you. And the usual. I and if that. you didn't get to go, almost everybody from Exactly Right Network has posted their live shows from that yeah. weekend. So yeah. there's a live um, percast. There's a live murder squad. There's us. And there's the Minnesota as well. Yeah. Um, and there will be more to come. But um don't feel left out. We will do it again. Yeah. And, um, you know, for all the people that were there, thank you for making it such a really special experience. I've had so much coffee that I could actually keep on talking about that experience <laughs> for 10 more minutes because now I want to talk about the fancy hotel we stayed at. I now know. I want to talk about no, it. It's really like, sweet because they're like, th there's so much going on with us in our lives. It's only been four, almost four years. <laughs> so That's weird. it. And, and these, sh these live shows are so, they've become this thing that we just do and we go on stage and they're, they're great and we have so much fun and it just happens and we record in this office and it just happens. But then there's these little moments like when you meet a special like a fan or you go to these incredible weekends or like someone you know sends you a lovely letter that just like hits you how fucking big this is uh, yeah and how life-changing <laughs> this has been for us it has this is this is not how i expected my life to be <laughs> at all and it's the most shockingly wonderful thing that's ever that's i, I could have ever imagined yeah i might have to go under the table and have a quick cry <laughs> I'll be down there with you, but I'll be making fun of you the whole time. That's okay. Because <laughs> I can't cry. It's just from the inside of this, people tell us from the outside all yeah. the time, like, we're proud of you or this is exciting yeah. or it's been so cool to watch this. Yeah. From the inside, it's been so fucking weird. We can't yeah. even explain it. Yeah. We might as well have been abducted by aliens. Yes. But... Thank you for still being there yeah. with us because it continues. Apparently, yeah, we'll do it as long as you feel like doing it. Totally, like let's fucking just do it. And we appreciate you guys listening. Um, yes, thank you so much. Stay sexy and don't get murdered. Goodbye, Goodbye! Elvis. You want a cookie? <laughs>